Chapter Eighteen of Craddock Knoll, Volume Three, by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Eighteen. Softly and quietly fell the mould on the coffin of Bull Garnet. A great tree overhung his sleep without fear of the woodman. Clayton Knoll's simple grave, turfed and very tidy, was only a few feet away that ancient tree spread forth its palms on this one and the other as a grandsire lays his hands peacefully and placidly on children who have quarrelled a lovely spot as one might see for violence to rest in for long remorse to lose the track and deep repentance hopefully abide the time of god to feel the soft mantle of winter return and the promising gladness of spring the massive depths of the summer tide and the bright disarray of autumn and to be no more the while oppressed or grieved or overworked there shall forest children come joining hands in pleasant fear and sitting upon grassy mounds wonder who inhabits them wonder who and what it is that cannot wonder any more and haply they shall tell this tale become a legend then when he who writes and ye who read are dust ay and tell it better far more simply and more sweetly never having gone astray from the inborn sympathy for every grown-up man is apt to mar the uses of his pen with bitter words and small and twaddling conceiting himself to be keen in the first just in the second and sage in the third for all of these let him crave forgiveness of god his fellow-creatures and himself respectively sir cradock nowell still alive to the normal sense of duty tottered away on john rosedew's arm from the grave of his half-brother he had never learned whose hand it was that dug the grave nearby, and no one ever forced that unhappy knowledge on him this last blow which seemed to strike his chiefest prop from under him had left its wheel on his failing mind in great marks of astonishment that such a strong great man should drop and he the elder and the weaker be left to do without him he was going to the rectory now to have a glass of wine after fatigue of the funeral a vintage very choice and rare according to mr rosedew and newly imported from oxford and truly that was its origin it might have claimed founders king fellowship like most of the oxford wine-skins wonderful wonderful man said poor sir cradock doing his best to keep his back very upright from a sudden suffusion of memory to think that he should go first john oh if i had a son left he should take that man for his model scarcely that john rosedew thought knowing all the circumstances but of the dead i will say no harm so quick so ready so up for anything ah i remember he knocked a man down just at the corner by this gate here where the dandelion seed is and afterwards he proved how richly he deserved it that is the way to do things john i'm not quite sure of that said the conscientious parson it might be wiser to prove that first and then to abstain from doing it i remember an instance in point of course you do you always do john and i wish you wouldn't but that has nothing to do with it you are always cutting me short john and worse than ever since you came back and they talked of you so at oxford i hope they have not changed you john he looked at the white-haired rector with an old man's jealousy 
who else had any right to him my dear old friend replied john rosedew with kind sorrow in his eyes i never meant to cut you short i will try not to do it again but i know i am rude sometimes and i am always sorry afterwards nonsense john don't talk of it i understand you by this time and we allow for one another but now about my son my poor unlucky son to be sure yes said the other old man not wishing to hurry matters and so they stopped and probed the hedge instead of one another i don't know how it is at last sir cradock nowell said being rather aggrieved with john rosedew for not breaking ground upon him but how hard those stubs of ash are look at that splinter almost severed by a man who does not know how to splash jem his name is poor garnet told me jem something or other and yet all i can do with my stick won't fetch it away from the stock like a child who will not quit his father however his father has treated him what do you mean by that john are you driving at me again i thought you had given it over i never give over anything john answered in a matter for him quite melodramatic and beyond his usual key no we always knew how stubborn you were and now you are worse than ever no fool like an old fool john rosedew answered smiling sweetly yet with some regret cradock i am such a fool i shall let out everything what do you mean asked sir cradock nowell leaning heavily on his staff and setting his white face rigidly yet with every line of it ready to melt john i have heard strange rumours or i have dreamed strange dreams in the name of god what is it john my son my only son he could say no more but turned away and bowed his head and trembled your only son your innocent son has been at my house these three days and when you like you can see him when i like ah to be sure i don't like many people i am getting very old john and no one to come after me it seems a pity don't you think and every one against me so you can take your own part still my friend and you have to take your son's part yes to be sure my son's part perhaps he will come back some day and i know he did not do it now and i was very hard to him don't you think i was john very hard to my poor craddy and he was so like his mother but you will be very kind to him now and he will be such a comfort to you now he is come back again and going away no more i declare you make me shake john you do talk such nonsense one would think you knew all about him more than his own father does what have i done to be kept like this in the dark all in the dark and you seem to think that i was hard to him cradock all you have to do is just to say the word just to say you wish to see him and your son will come and talk to you talk to me oh yes i should like to talk to him very much i mean of course if he is at leisure he leaned on his stick and tried to think while john rosedew hurried off and of all his thoughts the foremost were what will cradock my boy be like and what shall i give him for dinner cradock came up shyly gently looking at his father first then waiting to be looked at the old man fixed his eyes upon him at first with some astonishment for his taste in dress was somewhat outraged by the broadway style then in spite of all the change remembrance of his son returned and love and sense of ownership last of all 
auctorial pride in the young man's width of shoulder blended with soft recollections of the time he dandled him why craddock it is my poor son craddock what a size you are grown my boy my boy oh father i am sure you want me only try me once again i am not at all a radical crad you never could be i knew you must come round at last to my way of thinking when you had seen the world a bit as your father did before you and so they made the matter up in politics and dress and little touches of religion and in the depths of kindred love which underlies the latter and never after was their word except of migrant petulance between the crotchety old man and the son who held his heart's key all this while we have been loath to turn to mrs corklemore and contemplate her discomfiture although in strict sequence of events we ought to have done so long ago but it is so very painful and nowadays all writers agree with epicurus in regarding pain as the worst of evils so bitter is the task to describe a lovely mother failing in spite of all exertion to do her duty by her child in robbing other people that really ah uh, well a day physic must be taken at the time of her dismissal from the halls of nowelhurst mr corklemore had been so glad to see his pretty wife again and that queer little flaw who amused him so by pinching his stiff leg and crying haw and he had found the house so desolate and the absence of plague so unwholesome and the responsibility of having a will of his own so horrible that he scarcely cared to ask the reason why they were come home and georgie who was not thoroughly heartless else how could she have got on so thought coo nest very snug and nice with none to contradict her so she found relief a while in banishing her worse while she indulged her better half let me do the same by suppressing here that evil tendency to moralize in georgie's case as well as mine the indulgence possessed at any rate the attractions of change and variety but knowing how strictly we are bound by the canons of philosophy to suspect and put the curb on every natural bias that good young woman soon refrained from over-active encouragement of her inclination to goodness rallying her sense of right she vanquished very nobly all the seductions of honesty and by a virtuous effort marched from the capua of virtue she stood upon the wood-crowned heights which look upon coo nest and as the smoke came curling up the house seemed very small to her what a thing to call a garden and the pigeon-house at nowelhurst was nearly as large as our stable and all oh, that little vinery where one knew every single bunch and came every day to watch its ripening and the little fuss of its colouring like an ogre watching a pet babe roasting surely nature never meant her to live upon so small a scale or why had she been gifted with such large activities she turned her back upon Coonest and her face to nowelhurst hall and in her mind's eye saw a place ever so much larger then a pleasant sound came up the hollow a nice ring of revolving wheels coquetting with the best sea springs and all the new improvements well-mettled horses too were there stepping together sonipedally and a footman could be seen whose legs must stand him in sixty pounds a year that odious old sir julius wallop and his wizen-faced wife come to patronize us again and say ha corklemore snug little place charming situation but i think i shall pull it down and rebuild 
no room for chang to stand in and how is my old friend sir cradock your forty-fifth cousin i believe ah he has a nice place i haven't the heart to meet them now and their patronizing disparagement hey ho it is a nice turnout and yet they have at nolhurst three more handsome carriages and it does look so much better to have two footmen there behind and i do like watered linings so how nice flo did look by my side in that new barouche oh my darling child i must not give way to selfish feelings i must do my duty towards you therefore she proceeded against her better nature in the face of prudence with her attempt to set aside poor sir cradock nowell and obtain fiduciary possession of his property cradock was lost in the taprobane of that there could be no doubt and so she was saved all further trouble of laying before the civil authorities the stronger evidence they required before issuing a warrant but all was going very nicely towards the commencement of an inquiry as to the old man's state of mind then suddenly she was checkmated and never moved a pawn again one afternoon mrs corklemore was sitting in her drawing-room expecting certain visitors and quite ready to be bored with them because they were leading gossips ladies who gave the first complexion to any nascent narrative and georgie knew how to handle them in the county talk which must ensue only let them take her side and all the world will feel for her in her very painful position after a rumble of rapid wheels and a violent pull at the bell which made the lady of the house to jump because they had just had the bell-hanger into her sanctuary came with a cooler than curcumine temperature not indeed lady alberta smith and her daughter victorina beatrice but eoa nowell and her cousin cradock for once in her life mrs corklemore was deprived of all presence of mind ghostly horror being added to her bodily fear of eoa she fain would have fled but her limbs gave way and she fell back into a soft french chair and covered her face with both hands then eoa looking tall and delicate in her simple morning dress walked up to her very quietly leading cradock as if she were proud of him i have taken the liberty mrs corklemore of bringing my cousin cradock to see you because it may save trouble i trust you will forgive said cradock our very sudden invasion we are come upon a matter of business to save unpleasant exposures and disgrace to our distant relatives oh gasped poor mrs corklemore you are alive then after all it was proved that you lost your life upon the coast of africa yes but it has proved otherwise cradock answered bowing neatly and it would have been so much better under the sad sad circumstances for all people of good feeling and all interested in the family for the latter perhaps it would madam but not so clearly for the former i am here to protect my father from all machinations leave her to me cried eoa slipping prettily in front of him i understand her best because because of my former vocation and i think she knows what i am that i do answered georgie cleverly interposing first a small enamelled table not only an insolent but an utterly reckless creature you may think so eoa replied with calm superiority but that only shows your piteous ignorance of the effects of discipline i am now so sedate and tranquil a woman that i do not hate but scorn you cradock could not help smiling at this knowing what eoa was we want no strong expressions my dear on one side or the other 
for he saw that a word would have overthrown Eo's newborn discipline. Mrs. Corklemore is far too clever not to perceive her mistake. She knows quite well that any inquiry as to my dear father's state of mind can now be of no use to her, and if she thinks of any further proceedings against myself, perhaps she had better first look at just this, just this document. He laid before her a certificate, granted by three magistrates, that indisputable evidence had been brought before them as to the cause and manner of Clayton Nowell's death, and that Craddock Nowell had no share in it wittingly or unwittingly that was the upshot of it but of course it extended to about fiftyfold the length mrs corklemore bent over her in her most bewitching manner and perused it very leisurely as if she were examining flaws attempts at pot-hooks meanwhile with a side glint of her eye she was watching both of them and it did not escape her notice that eoa was very pale to be sure she said at last looking full at the eastern maid i see exactly how it was i have thought so all along a female thug must be charmed of course by the only son of a murderer my dear i do so congratulate you thank you answered eoa and the deep gaze of her lustrous eyes made the clever woman feel a world unopened to her i thank you georgie corklemore because you know no better my only wish for you is that you may never know unhappiness because you could not bear it saying so she turned away and with her light quick step was gone before her enemy could see a symptom of the welling tears which then burst all control but cradock who had dwelt in sorrow compared to which hers was a joke stayed to say a few soft words and made a friend for evermore of the woman who had plotted so against his life and all his love madame la comtesse since that time has been much tribulation and is all the better for it mr corklemore died of the gout and the angel floor of the measles and she herself having nursed them both and lost some selfishness in their graves is now as her destiny seemed to be the wife of mr chope of course she is compelled to merge her strong will in a stronger one and according to nature's selic law is the happier for doing so whether this union will produce a subject for biography to some unborn lord campbell time alone can show from the above it will be clear that poor eoa nowell was now acquainted with the secret of the garnet family bob himself had told her all about a month after his father's death renouncing at the same time all his claims upon her of that eoa would not hear only at his urgency she promised to consult her friends and take a week to think of it and this was the way she kept her promise first she ran up to cradock nowell with the bright tears still upon her cheeks and asked him whether he had truly and purely forgiven his injurer he took her hand and answered her with his eyes in which the deepened springs of long affliction glistened fixed steadily upon hers as truly and purely as i hope to be forgiven at the judgment day then that settles the matter now order the dog-cart craddy dear and drive me to dr hutton's of course he obeyed her immediately and in an hour they entered the gate of geopharmacy lodge rosa was amazed at her beauty and thought very little after that of mrs corklemore's appearance for my part said rufus hutton when eoa had laid the case before him in a privy council 
although it is very good of you and very flattering to me that you look upon me still as your guardian i think you are bound first of all to consult sir cradock nowell how very odd now that is exactly what i do not mean to do he never can understand poor dear and i hope he never will the truth about poor clayton's death his present conviction is like that of all the neighbourhood that black will the poacher did it the man who has since been killed in a fight with sir julius wallop's gamekeepers and it would shock poor uncle so i'm sure he would never get over it if the truth were forced upon him and if it were i am sure he would never allow me to have my way which of course i should do in spite of him and i am not his heiress now since cradock came to life again but i have plenty of money of my own and i have quite settled what to give him the day that i am married and you too my dear guardy if you behave well about this look here she drew forth a purse quite full of gold and tossed it in her old indian style so that rufus could not help laughing well my dear he answered kindly who could resist such bribery besides i see that your mind is made up and we all know what the result of that is and after all the chief question is what effect will your knowledge of this have on your love for your husband it will only make me love him more ever so much more because of his misfortune and will you never allude to it never let him see that you think of it so as to spoil his happiness is it likely i should think of it why my father must have killed fifty men he was desperate in a battle and bob has never brought that up against me well if you take it in that light decidedly not an english light and perhaps you never heard that bob's father by his quickness and boldness saved the lives of fifteen men in a colliery explosion before he ever came to nowelhurst and therefore he had a perfect right to-to take the lives of fifteen others fourteen to his credit still well eoa you can argue if any female in the world can only in one thing my dear child be advised by me if you must marry robert garnet leave this country for a while and take his sister pearl with you of course i must marry bob said eoa and of course i should go away with him but as to taking pearl with us why that's a thing to be thought about however they got over that as well as all other difficulties sir cradock nowell was at the wedding mr rosedew performed the ceremony and rufus hutton gave away as lovely a bride as ever was seen bob garnet spied a purple emperor who had lost his way knocking his head in true imperial fashion against the chancel window and he glanced at eoa about it between the two i wills and she lifted her beautiful eyebrows and he saw that she meant to catch him so after signing the register they contrived to haul him down without letting john rosedew know it then at the chancel porch they let him go free of the forest with his glorious wings unsoiled not even an insect should have cause to repent their wedding day and now they live in as fair a place as any the world can show not far from piso de ragoa in the alto duro district where eoa's children toddle by the brilliant river's brink and form their limbs to strength and beauty up the vine-clad mountain-side bob has invested his share of proceeds in a vineyard of young bastardo and muscat de jesu 
moreover he holds a good appointment under the royal Porto company agricultural of the vine many a time eoa sits watching with her deep bright eyes the purple flow of the luscious juice from the white marble lagar wherein the hardy peasants with their drawers tied at the knees tramp to the time of the violin to and fro without turning round among the pulpy flood then bob who has discovered a perfect cure for oidium and knows how to deal with every grub that bores into or nips the vine to his wife and bairns he comes in haste having been too long away bringing a bunch of the lady's fingers or the barrette de clerigot or it may be some magnificent insect new to his entomology or still more interesting prize a letter from pearl or amy wherein mrs pell or noel gossips of the increasing cares which increase her happiness yet even among these lovely scenes and under that delicious sky frequent and fond are the glances cast by hope as well as memory as the bowered calm of the forest brooks and the brown glamour of the beechwood and when they return to dwell in the forest and to end their days there even bob will scarcely know the favourite haunts of his boyhood to such an extent has craddock knoll planted and improved clothing barren slopes with verdure adding to the wealth of woods many a new tint and tone by the aid of foreign trees unknown to his father in doing so his real object is not so much to improve the estate or gratify his own good taste or even that of amy but to find labour for the hands and food for the mouths of industrious people sir cradock grumbles just a little every now and then because like all of us englishmen he must have his grievance but on the whole he is very proud of what his son is doing and thoroughly enjoys his power of urging or repressing it and if on theoretic matters any question chances to arise between them when one says no to the other's yes as all true britons are bound to do upon politics port wine and parsons then a gentle spirit comes and turns it all to laughter with the soft and pleasant wit of a well-bred woman's ignorance for amy still must have her say and still asserts her privilege to flavour every dull discussion with lively words and livelier glances and a smile for both the disputants then craddock looks at his dear young wife with notes of admiration and bids her keep such piquant wisdom for the counsels of the nursery upon which pleasant reminder the old man chuckles as if some very good thing had been said then craftily walks with a spotted toy capable of barking and exactly representing caldo or wino whichever you please to the foot of certain black oak stairs where he fully expects to hear the prattle of small clayton to wit it has long been resolved and managed with prospective wisdom down the path of years that the county annals shall not be bought of a grand sir clayton noel and a very grand fellow indeed he is this two-year-old clayton noel grand in the stolid sageness of his broad and steadfast gaze grand in the manner of his legs and his holbein attitude grander still in stamping when his meat and ale are late but grandest of all immeasurably grand in the eyes of his grandfather hogstaff whose memory is quite gone and his hearing too of every sound except the voice of this boy identifies him beyond all cavil with the clayton of our story many a time the bowed retainer chides his little master for not remembering the things he taught him only yesterday then craddock smiles at his son's oblivion of the arts his uncle learned 
but never reminds old hoggy that the yesterday was rather more than five and twenty years ago is it true or is it false according to the rules of art that the winding up of a long long story handled with more care than skill should have some resemblance to the will of a kindly natured man in whose final dispositions no dependent however humble none who have helped him in the many pages of his life far less any intimate friend seeks in vain a grateful mention or a token of regard be that as it may any writer who loves his work although a fool for doing so feels the end and finish of it like a signature of his will and doubly saddened must he be if the scenes which charmed him most and cast upon him such a spell that he could not call spectators in if these for want of skill have wearied eyes and hearts he might have pleased for surely none would turn away whose nature is uncancelled if once he could be gently led into that world of beauty to rest in the majesty of shade forgetting weary headache to let the little carking cares avarice and jealousy self-conceit and thirst of fame fly away on the wild wood like the piping of a bird to hear the rustle of young leaves when their edges come together and dreamily to wonder at the size of things above us shall ever any man unclasp the good that grows above him or even offer to receive the spread of heaven's greatness yet every man may lift himself above the highest tree-tops even to the throne of god by loving and forgiving and verily some friends of ours who could not once forego a grudge are being taught by tear and tret how much they owe their maker and how little to themselves first of these is rufus hutton quite a jolly mortal getting fat and riding polly for the sake of his liver and reams and all he has to say is this first that he will match trees and babies with those of any nurseryman next that as i have a knack of puffing good people and good things he begs for reciprocity on the part of superior readers and if this should chance to meet the eye of any one who knows where to find a really first-rate manila conducted on free trade principles such knowing person by addressing confidentially under seal r h post office ringwood may hear of something very greatly to his own advantage now do we without appeal to the blue smoke of enthusiasm know of anything to the advantage of anybody whatever yes i think we do we may highly commend the recent career of the ducksacre firm and mr clinkers and issachar jupp the bargee robert clinkers and polly his wife are driving a first-rate business in coal and coke and riddlings not highly aristocratic perhaps but free from all bad debts you may see the name on a great brass plate near the broadway hammersmith on the left hand where the buses stop but mr jupp flies at higher game he has turned his length of wind that once secured the palm of victory in physical encounters to a higher and nobler use in a word mr jupp is a primitive christian upon and beside the waters of avon there you may hear him preaching and singing through his nose alternately ah me that is not what i mean for either proceeding is nasal every sunday and wednesday evening when the leaks in the punt allow him he gets five and thirty shillings a week as sir craddock's water bailiff and he has not stolen twig or catkin of all the trees he convoys down avon in seven or eight more summers little loo jupp will probably be the prettiest girl in the forest 
may we be there to see her the best and kindest man of all who have said their say in my story and not thrust their merits forward john rosedew still leads his quiet life nearer and nearer to wisdom's threshold nearer and nearer to the door of god his temper is as soft and as sweet his memory as bright and ready and his humour as playful as when he was only thirty years old and walked every day to kidlington as for his shyness that we must never ask him to discard because he likes to know us first and then he likes to love us but of all the people in the world next to his own child amy most he loves and most he honours his son-in-law cradock nowell cradock nowell so enlarged and purified by affliction so able now to understand and feel for every poor man he when placed in large possessions and broad english influence never will forget the time of darkness grief and penury never will look upon his brethren as under another god than his it is true that we must have hill and valley towering oak and ragged robin zenith cloud overlooking the sun and mist crouching down in the hollows and true as well that we cannot see all the causes and needs of the difference but is it not still more true and sure that the whole is of one universal kingdom bound together by one great love the high and low the rich and poor the powerful and the helpless and in the spreading of that realm beyond the shores of time and space when at last it is understood what the true aim of this life has been not greatness honour wealth or science no nor even wisdom as we unwisely take it but happiness here and hereafter a flowing tide whose fountain is our love of one another then shall we truly learn by feeling whereby alone we can learn and all the cleaving of our sorrow and cuts into the heart of us were nothing worse than preparation for the grafts of god end of chapter eighteen End of Craddock Knoll, Volume 3, by Richard Dottridge Blackmore.